If a man knows what he is and remains true to himself, he must fulfill his destiny and become who he is meant to be. However much he may hate it. Is there any way I can help? This week on the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 9, The Dance of Dragons. Written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and directed by David Nutter. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kolzik, TV editor of SoundOnSight.org, and I'm joined ever by my wonderful co-host, our editor-in-chief, Mr. Ricky D. Ricky, how's it going? Hey, Kate. I take back all the nice things I said about Stannis. <laughs> yes, we will We will dive in with that uh, right away here. But first, I want to introduce our guest. Very glad to, to, to have one of our fabulous contributors at Sound On Sight, Miss Whitney McIntosh. Miss? Miss? Do you have a preference? Miss is good, yeah. Miss Whitney McIntosh, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Happy to be here, as always. As we always say at the top of the podcast, we'll be dis- discussing this week's episode of Game of Thrones, which is The Dance of Dragons, episode 9 of season, season 5, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, directed by David Nutter. There will be no spoilers for future ep- episodes of the show. There will be no spoilers for things yet to happen in the books. We may discuss some things that have already happened in the book and may do some compare and contrast with how they are going on the show, but we won't have any spoilers. This is a spoiler-safe zone, listeners. Never you fear. I have read the books. Um, but I'm a little fuzzy on them. It's been a while. Ricky has not. Whitney, what's your relationship with A Song of Ice and Fire? I read them, but it's been four years at this point. I read them right after the first season aired, so I generally know what's going on and can compare and contrast, but I am not um, I'm not like intimately connected with them in a way that I could pick out random factoids, but I, I do. I am spoiler sensitive, so I... We will be aware of that. But yeah, we're at the point because it like you say, when it's been so long, certain things like I I I am functionally useless as the the book person. We're far enough along that uh I don't remember enough of the details from late in the series. because um, I am more aware of the earlier books. They they stuck in my memory more, maybe because I read them at a more leisurely uh pace. Um so but at this point, things are, are shifting so much from the books in certain arcs that it doesn't really uh, necessarily uh, benefit us that much. So let's dive in with uh, what you already brought up here, Ricky, which is one of this episode's set pieces and uh, its most emotionally devastating moment. And that is the death of Shireen, the sacrifice of Shireen by her father, um, to the Lord of Light. Now, we talked about this previously on the podcast, uh, so listeners will know what Ricky and I were expecting from this. Whitney, did you think that he would go through that when, when this was first brought up by Melisandre uh, a, a week or two ago? Were you expecting that this would actually happen, or did you think he would have a limit and have a line he wouldn't cross? I didn't expect it would happen, um, kind of because of the precedent that the books have said. And again, this is almost a reverse spoiler at this point because it has changed so much, but 
it has this hasn't happened yet in the books so this might actually be a, a future thing but in the books it's much more drawn out and stannis does kind of draw that line at mm-hmm. some point so i more expected that to happen here even if that would draw his storyline out farther which has been an issue thus far but i i really didn't expect him to go through with it or or that he would go through with it and someone else would stop him so i was very shocked when that came to be and uh, what was your reaction to it because i know some people are very angry about this some people are more uh, resigned uh and it was wasn't as upsetting for them as other things this season have been what was your reaction i i was not a fan of the decision I don't, I'm not sure whether it was completely because it was so sudden and completely void of any emotional connection to anybody but Shireen and um, Davos, but it's also at the point in the season where it's just been violence upon violence upon violence and no real bright spots that it, I don't know how much it actually affected my opinion of the season if it if it say had been done in the third episode, it might've kind of moved that lever more per se. But at this point, I, I just expect these types of things in the long run that I, you know, I'm almost numb to the violence and the atrocities that happen. So I'm disappointed that they did it. And I think it was a really horrific thing to watch, but at the same time, it's, I've just gotten to the point where it's another thing that happened this week. It's just another thing to put on the list. What was your reaction, Ricky? Well, I think I called it on on the podcast, if mm-hmm. not last week, then the week before. I think as soon as we had that amazing scene between Stannis and his daughter back in episode four, I believe, of this season, I was like, she's a goner, you know? So I think it's actually the most painful, disturbing scene of the entire series so far because of the buildup. Uh, I had mixed feelings on it also. I did have tears in my eyes, so it did emotionally impact me in, I guess, the way it's supposed to. But, see, my, my problem with this scene is, although we have this buildup, they've, they've established Stannis as a man who truly loves his daughter, you know. And we know this because of what he tells her back in episode four of this season, when he talks about how he didn't give up on her and he tried his best and tried everything in his power to save her from dying from the disease, And yet in this episode, he's willing to sacrifice her. And although it's beautifully shot and directed and we don't actually see her burn alive, like the camera pans away and we hear her screams in the background and the way they slowly bring her to the, the, the cross in which they're going to like tie her up and burn her at the stake. Right. Like the whole sequence is well directed, but the problem is, is that I just don't think they gave us viewers enough reason to believe that Stannis would make that kind of decision at this point in time, because just because someone set fire to their camp in the middle of nowhere, it, to me, it just wasn't enough. You know what I mean? Like, like, and I know some time has passed and I know he's lost a lot of men and some, some of the men have starved and they're freezing and it's cold and I'm not sure if they're going to make it, but this is also a man who is confident and adamant about moving forward, even though Davos told him to retreat and go back. So he was so confident that they can not only make it to Winterfell, but actually win the battle. That's interesting, because for me, it's completely in character for him. And um, I think it's I think the reason 
it feels so in character for me is that I have a very different read of his decision to march to Winterfell. I don't think he decided to march to Winterfell because he felt confident that they had the manpower and they were going to win, and so it was the right military decision. I think he did it because he's stubborn and he doesn't want to wait. Um, he doesn't want to wait out the year, those years, um, and he's just unwilling to give up this his his fight to be the the king to re- reclaim what you know is the birth the birth his birthright, I guess that you know according to the lineage that Robert established, and um, so yeah, and that's part of why I think that while it's very. It's obviously he burns his daughter at the stake. It's incredibly upsetting. It's supposed to be. I I was also very prepared for it though by the episode because as soon as he sends Davos away, that's what's going to happen. It's the only reason he sends Davos away, and um and so as soon as that happened, as soon as we had that scene with him and Shireen, as soon as Davos was sent away, um I knew that that would happen, and um and so that that allowed me to to take advantage of a little bit of time between those uh, those scenes to think back on the character and his really his defining trait is his stubbornness and that's what separates him from someone like Ned Stark uh, because Ned Stark was a man of his word but he would also he could be swayed by reason and Stannis that doesn't seem to be the case for him and um, yeah so I think because of that distinction it it uh and also yeah, but... it, it probably helped that i i watched this i was at at the austin television festival last last weekend and so i got home late and i was seeing i realized i had to get off twitter because people were reacting to something so that probably affected my viewing of it as well yeah, but, but the thing is i think we all knew she was gonna die as soon as we get that scene that's not the point the point is that within the show that we're watching what's What's the reason for him feeling so desperate all of a sudden to kill his daughter as opposed to last week or two days ago or five weeks ago? Like, the thing about him is he believes he's the chosen one. He believes that he will rule the Seven Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. And so he will do everything in his power to to, to become the, the king of the Seven Kingdoms. It's, it's more of like he believes that he's destined to be. I understand that. But why in this specific moment did he decide to kill his daughter? Because someone set his camp on fire? Because they didn't have enough food to survive. And they didn't have... And, and there was no possible way for them to not... Let alone fight at Winterfell. They were, they were going to sit in the snow and die. And so he decided that the only thing that could, that could save them, anything reasonable could not possibly save them. So the only thing that could possibly save them um, is the Lord of Light, who, according to Melisandre, demands a sacrifice. Right. But everyone understands this. But, Kate, what I'm saying is, like, okay, for example, I'm talking to my coworkers at work who don't review the show on a weekly basis, who haven't read the books. They're just, like, you know, weekly viewers. And they're they're all confused. They're like, well, why did he kill his daughter all of a sudden? Because what the TV show has given us, it's only given us, like, brief glimpses of his men like we don't actually see them starving we haven't actually seen any of his men flee or die we just mm-hmm. saw a campfire so what i'm saying is from the show's point of view i understand that it's 10 episodes and each episode has a limited time span of like 45 or so minutes but i don't think the show gave us enough to justify understanding his reason like i mean we understand his reason but the show didn't visually show enough of it that okay. makes any sense yeah it does i mean i just I think I just disagree, but I, or I guess not that I disagree, but it worked for me more. And 
it's very it's been very much in the foreground of my thoughts with in regards to Stannis that he burned all of his in-laws at the stake. Like he's burned many, many people at the stake. And so I've never doubted that he would be willing to do this. And so mm. it doesn't seem like it's a big, like now all of a sudden, because things are so desperate, he would do something that he would never have done before. Um, I, I think he was a lot closer to doing this earlier um, and didn't, you know, so, so I guess that's maybe that's the distinction for me, but I absolutely see where you're coming from. If you feel the show didn't do the legwork to necessitate or to really portray that need from his troops. Well, can I ask Whitney a question? So here's the thing is thinking back on the speech and that whole conversation he had with his daughter a while back. Don't you think that the decisions for him to burn his daughter at the stake so quickly in this episode renders that whole entire conversation, that's that moving speech completely meaningless at this point in time. Like, like, the thing about the show is now he's he's not even a good guy. Like we can't even root for him. And I don't know what that means for us as viewers moving forward. Because so if if Stannis's army faces off against the Boltons, we hate the Boltons, but now we hate Stannis and his army. So why do we care if they die or live? I think I fall somewhere between this between the two of your points. I don't think that that speech is rendered useless because I think Stannis is so he wavers back and forth on where his priorities lie or not where his priorities lie. Cause his priorities are always to be King and to take the North and to use that to then rule Westeros, but his methods to achieve that priority keep changing. Whereas, you know, a few seasons ago, he would be willing to do anything and use Melisandre's magic to achieve his goals. And then for us, almost a full season there, he kind of didn't do that as much and was doubting her and was resisting doing things like this and, and killing people just for the sake of it. And then all of a sudden he's back to trusting her completely enough to kill his own daughter. So that's where my issues really come with, but I don't think that speech was rendered useless because I think both actors really rendered it well. It was so beautifully performed. It was the culmination of this relationship that had been slowly building through Solis, you know, her mother and Davos and all of these people in the camp. And then it built to that really beautiful moment between a father and daughter. And, you know, at this point that was definitely meant to prove that he loves her and he's still sacrificing all of that to, to become King at the same time. I just, I, I don't think the show did the legwork with Melisandre because she's this season. She's just been the weird Lord of light, witch lady that has Jon Snow grope her at some points and doesn't really, isn't really trusted by anybody. And then all of a sudden Stannis is back on board 120% enough to burn his daughter at the stake. So that's where my issues came with it. Um, it just didn't, it didn't mesh very well. You could really see the seams of the show just need to get to that point. And whether they had all the pieces there or not, it was going to happen. Um, yeah. But, but the, the thing is, when we do get the speech with his daughter, it feels now like the speech was written specifically so we can have this connection to the character because she's going to die in the next two episodes. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, like there was no choice. Like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like he could have found King's blood because they could have gone, I don't know, south and kidnapped and captured so and so. Like, there, there was no choice for him. You know what I mean? So that it was just weird. I kind, I kind of feel like the, the writing of this season feels disjointed, 
and unbalanced. And there's a lot of things we can see coming from a mile away. And that's the major difference. And my major criticism of this season, as opposed to the previous four seasons, is I kind of feel like because they're moving away from the book, they're changing so many things. And, and each and every single week, like, you know, Kate, I call it Spidey Sense, or maybe it's just because I watch a lot of TV shows and movies, that I see what the writers are doing from a mile away. So it was not a shock that she was going to die. I haven't been shocked or surprised at all this season so far. The, the question of has the legwork been done with these different characters, I think is a very valid one. And it's one that they're going to continue to run into um, as they expand. It's And it's really been one of the significant issues of this season when you have the characters so disparate as they have been. I mean, even just adding more locations, adding Dorne, which I think we could... Ricky and I, I'm sure we agree on this. Um, and Whitney, I would look, look forward to hearing your thoughts. But they really have bungled Dorne entirely. Um, nowhere near enough time spent there to make it feel like a real place and not just two sets. And nowhere near enough development for the Sand Snakes to feel like people. Um, then you have um, you have Varys completely dropped. And you have Jorah. I mean, I would say they did a pretty good job with Jorah's arc. You know, getting it back to being uh, theoretically in the core for Danny, of uh, Danny's you know core advisors, but just the way that like the the way that they have split the groups into more and more disparate locations, even just with Arya as well, they have less and less time that they can spend, and they've done a good job as far as opting to take characters out for a week here or there. Like we get no Cersei this week, um, but. Adding in Dorne, adding in the Sparrows, adding in the House of Black and White. There's too many new elements that need that need setup time for them to be able to do justice to uh, all of those different arcs. And so that's whether they can find a way to bring that back together. I mean, imagine if we had seen any uh, brand this season. Imagine if we were also dealing with whatever he's got going on. Um, this is not an issue that is going to become easier for them anytime soon. Yeah, I feel, I agree. And I feel like you can, again, see the scenes so much more this season of them trying to, you know, jigsaw everybody together in all these different locations, because this is the first season where they've really done so much on their own, which it's been going pretty well compared to what the books have done when they got to this point. It's much more entertaining. There's a lot more going on, but you can you can really see where it's straining. And I just think that's because they don't have a base to build off of like they did before. Well, and so, I and I don't even know how much I necessarily agree with that because I think the books, like you said, the books also. It's this is not just a problem in in the series. It's also a problem in the books. And uh, it may be that they don't have the next book. They can't work a book ahead and go, oh, I can just cut all, all this stuff out. Like, I don't we, don't, we can't know how much of a firm outline they have for their series end point. So maybe that's part of it. But right now, it seems like, why did we go to Dorne in the first place? Why not just have Tristan and Marcella show up? Other than I guess they needed Jamie to not be there so that Cersei could, you know, like, just we're, again the contrivances and the, like the reasons that we're spending time in these different places have not necessarily um, come to fruition yet. And it's been a full season, almost a full season. Right. I do think it really is that they don't have that same roadmap that before they were operating on the basis of the books on that foundation and they were perfecting it. They were making tweaks where necessary. They were 
you know, bringing things together expertly now that they're more or less on their own with some guidance from maybe some knowledge of book events coming that they're really struggling to make it seem smooth. They're really struggling to make it worth everyone's while everywhere we go. Um, at some point it's fine that they take chances though. I would rather them fail on a few things and us be disappointed than it to just be the same old, same old and boring. I would rather see Arya off on her own, you know, learning how to be an assassin than Arya hanging out in a dungeon somewhere or God forbid still at Harrenhal. Um, I would rather go to Dorne and have them at least try that. Yes, I wish the Sand Snakes were so much better than they are because they're really just pointless when in the books they're so, like, HBICs to the max. So I... I'm really disappointed, but I would rather they go there than to cut places out altogether. I'd rather them see what they can do and push their boundaries and push their abilities with this medium than just be content with what they're doing and just turn into some, you know, late stage HBO show that just stays in its path and, and doesn't really vary at all. Well, then I have a question for Ricky um, and you, Whitney, as well. Uh, but let's uh, start throw it to Ricky first. Do you think they should have kept more characters out of the season. Like, would it have been better for us to not get Arya this season? Is this something that we could have seen in, like, two or three episodes next season and had that time spent elsewhere? No. I I don't think that's the problem here, because in the previous four seasons, we've had just as many characters, if not more. Remember, a a lot of characters have died. I think the problem with season five, and I could be wrong, but I kind of feel like they're so focused on the destination, the ending of this show, because apparently they said they're only going to go with seven seasons. So for me, again, as someone who hasn't read the book, but knowing that they've made all of these book changes, it seems like they're rushing through storylines. Like they're trying to get this person from point A to point B so they can interact and intersect with this person from point C who moves over to point D. And then they're basically moving pieces on the chessboard, right? And it feels like they're rushing through things. Like they're trying to get Stannis and his army over to Winterfell because they need to face off with the Boltons. They need to get Jon Snow over to Hardhome because he's got to team up with the Wildlings. Like there's just so many things throughout this whole entire season where it feels like they're just really setting up for season six. Like, I think. And look at look at Arya, for example. Like, what is the point in her storyline so far? I mean, and again, I've complained about the storyline that revolves around Arya all season long. I just honestly feel like it's boring. With Dorne, I think we all agree they've dropped the ball on Dorne completely. From a viewer who's watching a TV show, it feels like they're focused on the destination, like the ending, as opposed to what's in front of them. That's what I think. But, you know, again, even with that scene in which Shireen gets burnt at the stake, it's still a well-directed, incredibly powerful scene. Like, I love the way they have her walk through the camp, through all of these people, and she's holding on to the stag that Davos carved for her early on. And the, I, I, I'm assuming the stag is a symbol for the house and her, her lineage, right? Yes, House and, Baratheon. Uh, right, and, and just the idea of her holding on to a stag, which is something that that these people actually hunt. And then here she is, she's going to get burnt alive. Like it was just chilling and knowing it's going to happen. Like, like that's the one thing about this episode is I do like how the two best scenes in this episode thematically link. And it like both 
scenes, and I'm, I'm speaking of the scene later in Marine with Danny and the Dragons, which we'll eventually get to, and this scene, you have a bunch of people who are witnesses to what's happening. They stand back and they are watching people kill people. And then we are watching these people kill people. And, like, it kind of makes me feel really weird when I think about it. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm taking pleasure in this show that's so grim and so dark. And we're watching this 12-year-old girl burnt alive, even though we don't actually see it on screen. But it's implied. We hear her screams. We know she's dying. We know she's burning to death. Like, it's, it's really powerful stuff. And I actually had tears in my eyes three times throughout this episode. Well, what were the other moments for you? What, what was similarly powerful for you in this episode? So, so the first time I was teary-eyed was when Shireen basically tells Stannis the exact same words he told to her in the previous, previous episode, where she's like, I am the Princess Shireen of House Baratheon. I am your daughter. And then I knew she was going to die because, you know, like you said, Davos gets sent back to, to the Night's Watch. And then, like, there's just so much foreshadowing. He knew it was going to happen in this episode. And then, of course... They kill her, and it was just heartbreaking, heartbreaking, because I was told that her name actually means sweet, and she's like the sweetest, nicest character in the show, and she dies the most horrible way possible. You know what I mean? Like, this show is unforgiving. And what was your third moment, then? Well, do we want to talk about it now? Let's, I mean, I, I'm up for it. Let's go for it. The end of the episode, when Drogon shows up and saves... Daenerys because he won't leave her behind. The dragon can actually die because they are throwing spears into the dragon and he's hurt and he's bleeding but he won't leave her side. She has to get on top of the dragon and tell him to fly away. I had tears in my eyes. There was just something so powerful about that moment. It's like it's like the Daenerys that I've wanted to see for quite some time. Now we've seen glimpses of it. You know, there's There's been times where Daenerys is like she she comes across as the leader who can rule the Seven Kingdoms. And there's many times where she comes across as inexperienced, dull, naive, making terrible decisions. But that that moment, oh, my God, I was just like, I honestly had tears in my eyes. I was like, hell yes. That's exactly what I've wanted to see for like five seasons for her to ride the dragon. It was just amazing. Well, and it's not just look, it's really cool, and they spend a bunch of money on it, and yes, it's not, you know, blockbuster movie special effects, because they don't have that budget. They have a significant budget for TV, but still. But they do they do a very good job with it. It's also that this is... This is was not necessarily a certainty. This is not necessarily something we could expect or she could expect, because Drogon coming shows forgiveness to some extent on his part, for try for 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 her locking them up and for for her you know trying to contain them and and that's the relationship with Drogon and Danny has not been an, a particularly healed one this season and so to, yeah and he he would have tried to roast her even though I would imagine given how the dragons are birthed that she might be immune to that but. He might have tried to kill her here when he tries to to breathe fire and he just can't because he's too wounded. But that sign of his him reaching out for her despite their tenuous at best relationship. And yes, I'm talking about a relationship between a girl and her dragon, a woman, a queen and her dragon. But it's it's powerful. And they did, you know, the performance from uh, Emilia and Clark 
and also from you know by the CGI uh, techni- you know the artists. Uh, it was just fantastic to to really to really sell that. Was it similarly effective for you, Whitney? No, it really wasn't. Interesting. Um, I again, it was cool. The special effects were cool. It's a moment we've been waiting for for a really long time, and it was it was cool to see her on the back of Drogon, which I still think is the dumbest name for a dragon. But <laughs> it's cool to see her on the back of Drogon and flying for the first time. But I, it's another thing where I don't think the show built up to it well enough that she's just been kind of hanging out, making stupid choices, listening to either the wrong people or the wrong advice. Tyrion finally gets there. We get one really good conversation. And then all of a sudden, when she's in trouble, her dragon shows up. He's been flying. You know, we saw him in Valyria, which is hundreds of miles away. We saw him in, or if not hundred miles, you know, a hundred miles away. We saw him flying all over the place and clearly refusing to return to Marine. And then all of a sudden he shows up out of the blue. You know, she's been in trouble before he didn't come back or he was angry at her and she didn't do anything to summon him. She didn't even say help. And he just showed up and then she gets on his back and says fly. And it's not in Valyrian and he just does it, and it it rang so false. It rang as this is the penultimate episode, and we're gonna kill a twelve year old, and we need a cool moment at the end to make people forget that we just killed a twelve year old. And it, it just it just seemed very like this is the time that we we've decided that Danny needs to ride her dragon, and it seemed just so empty. And I liked the scene leading up to it with the fighting pits. It was some great action sequences. We actually got to see Dario, you know, fight, which we haven't in a while now and and really you know beat some people up and we got to see the the magnitude that the sons of the harpy have grown to which i think they've been doing behind the scenes a little bit so they had to show that in one fell swoop of you know we clearly don't have pat downs at this stadium they're pretty big now (laughs) probably do that and then it just felt like oh here's the dragon remember these cool things this one forgives her and now we get to be now she gets to be, you know, a dragon rider. And hopefully that pushes the story forward and connects her with other people because she knows that she now has this weapon that she can, you know, teach more and control more than she usually could. And maybe Drogon will tell the other dragons, like, don't burn us alive. Now you have three dragons. But it, it just felt so empty and sudden and very arbitrary as, look, she's on a dragon. I have to defend the scene because I completely 100% disagree with you. Okay, first of all, we saw the dragon at the end of the last episode. Like, Jorah looks up in the sky because he sees something. I don't know if we actually see the dragon or just a shadow of the dragon, but he is in the city. Also, there's an amount of time that's passed. I mean, if Tyrion and Jorah could get to Marine from Valeria in, so, in, in like, say, five days, then so can the dragon. Like, there's, the, the dragon's always been in and around Marine. Um, what I love about the scene and the reason why it works for me. It's not even because of the special effects. It's because of the way it's directed and the actors. Just the way the director captures the perfect reaction shot from each and every single one of the members of the cast, be it Peter Dinklage or Amelia Clark. Um, I mean, it, it helps that you have such an amazing cast del- delivering such great performances when they are technically acting against a green screen. And again, you have to think about the way it's shot, the cinematography, the editing, the pacing, and the music. I love the music. But the thing about it is the dragon shows up, and it's like Kate says, he forgives her 
Like the dragon is able to forgive her instead of burning her at the stake like Stannis burns his daughter at the stake with everyone watching. Like the dragon is able to forgive Daenerys, but yet Stannis makes a sacrifice of sacrificing his daughter. It's like it's a it's like a role reversal. And that is why I love the way it thematically links to the scene with Shireen getting burnt at the stake. And that's what I love about the best episodes of Game of Thrones, there's a theme running throughout the storylines in each and every single one of these episodes. I think that was one of the best scenes in any sequence of Game of Thrones yet. So I completely disagree with you. Sorry, I just have to defend the scene. I absolutely loved it. And the fact that it can actually make me cry when it's a CGI dragon coming to save the day says a lot about the sequence. I, I mean, I have to disagree with you. And it was actually not Dario fighting. It was Jorah. No, but Dario fights the men, the sons of the harpy, though. So we get to oh, see right. him in okay. action. Like, yeah, because he is, you know, he keeps talking a big game. I enjoyed, um, I it was very glad to have Tyrion there at the fighting pits to, like, second uh, Danny and the audience in their eye rolling over the, mm-hmm. the, the different, the, the, the fiancé and the lover of Danny. Just, so guys, just, would you just measure already? Because this is getting old. I did appreciate that as Dario and uh, fiance man um, were arguing and then Jorah just pulls his Hunger Games move with the spear. That was a great moment because you, you, I, at first I actually thought he killed the fiance, which would have also been a great moment. (laughs) But the fact that he just all out and out just pegged a harpy was pretty great. And again, like a really nice return for Jorah after he just won the fight. Um, But yeah, that, that bickering was hilarious <laughs> but i also like the speech leading up to the battle in which Tyrion talks about how he agrees with daenerys and he he's not the type of person to take pleasure in watching the, these gladiators fight to, to the death and that whole speech kind of like mirrors everything that's happening in this whole entire episode and also like a lot of people were complaining about like don't they have security checks i mean First of all, everyone in this world carries a weapon. So I don't think they're actually going to have people checking a weapon at the door. And so it's as far Texas. As, sorry? I said, so it's Texas. Well, yeah, okay. But and as far as the mask goes, I mean, they can put the mask anywhere. Like They can, they can hide it in their shoes. So Well, I and also, I, there's a lot of them. They probably have a guard who's on the team. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't have trouble with that at all. No, neither I. I. I just have to come to to defense of the scene because I know a lot of people online were nitpicking and complaining and it's fine. Like I'm not like, if you don't like the scene, that's to- I totally understand why. But for me, it completely worked. I thought it was the best scene of this episode because even though Shireen getting burnt at the stake was powerful and made me cry, I still am conflicted. Like I still have mixed feelings about the decision to do so in like in this specific episode. But I think we needed this scene with Danny and her dragon. We really need to move her story forward a lot faster. And I think for me, um, I didn't have that connection between the Danny scene and the Shireen scene. Uh, if only because we're watching and we're watching Shireen get burned and we're disgusted that someone would, would do this, would burn somebody at the stake. And then we're going, yeah, burn them, Drogon, do it. You know, like there's, obviously it's very different. Serene is an innocent and being sacrificed and they are attacking, obviously. Um, yet the, the, I thought that that was an interesting and not necessarily, um, on disquieting, I guess, or, or, or not necessarily a comfortable, uh, parallel for me to be drawing for me what 
made me really connect to the scene with that or that that moment with Danny and Drogon was actually was not anything in relation to Shireen, but it, it was the 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 direction and the performance um, by the the CGI artists um, and also Amelia Clark tying it to the scene earlier in the season where Drogon first comes down and she reaches out to him the the I could be remembering it incorrectly but I believe the staging is the same the angles are the same so it's it's an a continuation and an extension of that moment from earlier in the season when when Drogon approached but then didn't stay so this time he approaches she reaches for him and he stays um and lets her uh, climb up also did she say fly? Because I thought she said something in a different language, and I just assumed it was fly. But I could have just not heard it correctly. So she was I, speaking English then? Really? I uh, No, I don't think so. I'm not sure. I, I thought it was fly in English, but maybe no. it was just because I was watching it on my computer and it was the sound wasn't loud enough. No, yeah. she was she was speaking one of their made-up languages. She wasn't speaking English. Um, I got I got to ask a question, though. Didn't Jorah grab her with his bare hands? You are not the only one thinking of Chekhov's uh, grayscale. <laughs> okay, so so is it a mistake on the part of the director, or should we worry? Because that really has me worried now. Well, the grayscale is the arm, right? Not the hand. And and does he have it wrapped? But yeah. still, we should be concerned about it, I think. You do have to touch them with the grayscale, I believe is the established rule, which sounds ridiculous, but I believe especially in the books where they go into it further and, and the, the legend of grayscale and all this stuff, I believe it's that you have to be touched by the actual grayscale, um, which he does have wrapped and it's on his inner arm, not his hand. So I, I think that was just a directorial choice that can be interpreted as he's, he touched her with grayscale, but I, I don't, I did not see it that way when he did okay. that. Yeah, but that's something that has to come into play, um, I would imagine, if not in the next episode, but certainly next season. And um, again, th this part of the book, the books is fuzzy in my memory, but because uh, I saw some people confused or like, or thinking that she was just gone, she was going to take off. For all I know, she's getting a, a lift back to the, the pyramid and she's just going to chill there and meet back up with, with her team um, in the next episode. So uh, do you guys think that she's just going to be just gone next week? Is she just, you know, off to points unknown? Maybe she's going to go hang in Valyria for a while. Or do you think that this is just a temporary, you know, taking her out of the arena, but keep staying in that vicinity and she will re uh, hooked up. She'll reconnect with, or th with her advisors in the next episode. I don't the, the latter. I hope she stays connected because otherwise it's going to put her storyline again in the place where it hopefully won't go ever again where she's just sitting around waiting for things to happen. Um, I hope that it it really pushes it forward whether it's with her advisors or whether she just goes far enough away that she does something crazy amazing and does it herself which would be even better. I, I don't think we're going to see her next week. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, we're going to see Tyrion and Jorah? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think we're going to see her. I, I think that that is the way you end with Daenerys 
because there's only one episode left. I mean, how can you top it? She she rides off for the very first time on top of her dragons. You can't you, top you it. You can't. So, no, cannot be no, topped. Yeah. No. Uh, I I still think I still think next week we're gonna have because we didn't get King's Landing this week. So I think we're gonna focus a lot next week on King's Landing and Cersei. And now that her daughter is headed back to King's Landing, I still think that her daughter and her son will die somehow. Okay. Very interesting. Because because, because of the flashback that opened up the season. Okay. Um, do we, we, we will, we will get to predictions for the finale soon here. Uh, do we have any thoughts though, before we get there on, um, North of the wall and, you know, or at, at the wall, I should say with the return of everyone, we get another capital, uh, S capital L significant look from Ollie. That's got to come into play next week. I would imagine. Or do you guys have any thoughts on Arya either? I think something big has to happen with Arya in the season finale because as much as I've liked her storyline just because it gets her out of Westeros and, you know, puts her in Essos and puts her in Bravos and, and lets her be on her own and really, I mean, I think she's enjoying what she's doing. I really liked it, but it has to culminate in something. They can't have dragged this out all season just for her to still be, you know, in training. She has to either do something as a faceless assassin or discover something, or, like, something has to happen. So uh, I'm hoping that Marin Trant showing up ties into that somehow. Um, I thought that was the best Arya storyline has been, because, again, she's actually out doing something, and it ties back into her life in Westeros in a way that makes me excited for where it's going. Um, but other than that, like, I really, it really just needs to, something needs to happen next week. Otherwise, it's going to have been mostly pointless this whole time. Refresh my memory. Marin Trant is the one who killed Serio, right? Correct. He was the leader of those knights that stormed that room. Okay, so he was one of King Joffrey's, like, right-hand men. Yes. Okay, he, yeah, so... He knew, like, all about the torture. And so, yeah, he was Joffrey's, like, stooge, basically. So clearly she's going to kill him. I think she's going to kill him with Needle, and I think that'll be the end of Arya's storyline over at the House of Black and White because clearly she's not meant to be one of these, like, faceless assassins. And in this episode, she actually lies, and I'm pretty sure that he knows that she is lying to him. Like, I don't think she's become that good of a liar that he knows that. Because, like, he asks, like, about the Thin Man, and she's like, oh, he just wasn't hungry today, right? So, which is why she didn't actually give him the poisoned, um, what do you call it? What is she eating again? The, the uh, clams, oysters, cockles. Yes, yeah, oysters, right. So, but she lies to him, but I, I, I don't think he actually believed her. Yeah, um, because she's gotten very good at lying. I think we can accept that, but he's been doing this quite a bit longer than she has. Um, so it would be very, uh, it would be unbelievable, I think, for him to not at the very least, highly suspect that she's lying there. Um, but I need I need her to do more than that, because if she spends the whole season trying out this thing and then goes, yeah, not for me, and that's all that happens, that's completely, it's, it's, it's again, it's unsatisfying. It's, they, I need more to happen with that or something else. Like she kills Marin Trant and then is recognized and gets taken back to King's Landing or something. Or There needs to be something besides just she decides to leave the House of Black and White and now she can lie well. Right. But was it not last week or the week before where he, and I say he because I forget how to pronounce his name, but he says that she'll never become what they want her to become, but she will become something different. So she will still achieve something like a goal. But she just won't 
you know, be like one of these faceless assassins. Yeah. So, so that, that, that is said, why I think like, yeah. They said that, uh, or Jack and Hagar still love that name, um, said that she was not ready to become no one, but she could become someone else. Meaning, is it Lana or Lara? The, the girl who sells, uh, who sells seafood so that she's already doing that. So she can't change her face. She can't become no one, but she can masquerade as somebody else um, as a step along that path. But here's the thing. So even if she kills Naren Tr Trant, who cares? I mean, yeah, okay, it, it'll be cool that she gets revenge on him because he's one of the people on her wish list, that, uh, her wish list of people that she can assassinate and kill. But we as viewers don't really have a connection with this character who we haven't seen in forever. Most people don't even remember who he is. Well, and that's why they go out of their way to make sure to make him a pedophile this week. So that right. you may not remember him being a bastard before, but at least you'll have this connection to him being a bastard now. Um, and I absolutely agree. Uh, I think it will be satisfying just because I remember him being a, just a bastard. But again, there it's not enough of a narrative payoff to her storyline. Whitney, is there? can you think of anything that they can do with this that doesn't get into book spoilers, that is, um, that can happen with this storyline to, to make this season's time at the house of black and white feel earned. I think she needs to become something that's not Arya. Again, she's already Lana. She's already out there selling seafood. Um, but she, even if she's not a faceless assassin, she needs to transform herself somehow, or she needs to figure out, she needs to be able to do something that allows her to kill or, dispose of people or spy on people that she didn't have before because right now all they did was improve her ability to lie which she was already not bad at she already has survived by herself decently so just having Marin Trant show up and him he kind of gave her a look too like do I know that girl where do I know her from um kind of recognized her so I think she has to use something from the house of black and white to actually kill him because otherwise, again, it's just kind of pointless. Like, she already had the strength. We've seen her kill before. We, you know, she already had the survival instincts. She already had Needle. She certainly doesn't need to learn how to fight from them. So just coming out of there lying is really not enough. She needs to transform herself somehow or get told something by them to really make it worth the time. Because um, otherwise, she's just been in Bravos in this stone building for no reason. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, because it's it's been nine episodes, and she's no different than the Arya back in season four. Well, I think she is more stable, and I think she is more focused. Um, they've shown that somewhat, but then they back away from it here, and. It seems like they're going to continue that. I, I, again, we're not. None of us are anticipating she'll be at the House of Black and White next season. So she, it's like they they toy with her, you know, being able to process these bodies and getting a new understanding of and relationship and respect for death as not necessarily a negative thing. But then it, that changes and goes away, or, or that that is uh, that's tested here, and her failing that test is not particularly enticing because then again, why have we spent all this time here, but her succeeding and passing that test isn't necessarily that exciting because then she's going to still be at the house of black and white. Um, and part of the trouble is that they're not going to recast 
Maisie Williams, you know, they're not going to give her a new face because then they can't have Maisie Williams there. So that sort of limits their options. And so maybe the the best thing that can happen is that they can say, Jack and Hagar can say, you are not suited to the House of Black and White, but go here instead. And then that can take her somewhere else interesting next season. Okay, uh, book questions without spoiling anything. Does she actually end up at the House of Black and White in the book? Yes. Okay, and the Danny Drogon sequence this week, is it in the book? I believe so, yes. Whitney? Yes, under different circumstances, but yes, she does eventually fly on her dragon, yes. Okay, but you said at the start of the podcast that Shireen isn't killed in the book? Not yet, but... Again, the books have sort of dragged certain storylines out. For example, Sansa's storyline in the book, she's, like, still at the veil. She's, like, <laughs> um, chilling. <laughs> yeah, just hanging out, just dyeing her hair, like, having a great time doing some spa days. Um, so, that like, they've compressed a lot of things. So, it's almost a reverse book spoiler in that I feel like the book is now heading that way, and they just bumped it up. But, yeah, so that hasn't happened yet in yes. the books. But yeah, exactly. Like you're saying, they haven't done something different in the books. They just haven't gotten to that choice yet. Okay, and is Dorne as boring in the books as it is in the oh, show? Oh, no. Way better in the books. Oh There's God. like a whole other like s- s- line of succession thing that goes on. The Sand Snakes have like this whole other thing. There's way more Dorne in the books. And I can understand why they cut it down just for time. Um, but it's just it's frustrating for me to look at the cast of actors I enjoy. You know, I really liked what we get with Alexander Siddig here. I've enjoyed him since DS9 and his scene that he gets is really nice. I talked, I've talked about in the podcast plenty of times that I really like Indira Varma and almost everything I see her in, she's completely underused. She does a good job with what they give her, but she's given very, very little to do. I was so excited that uh, Keisha Castle Hughes was going to be in this season and she's had maybe three scenes. I guess four all season. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really, it's the, the, the mishandling of Dorn is likely my second least favorite part of this season. Do you know that I had no clue that Prince Doran was, I, I think he is. I think he, he's, uh, he's paralyzed, right? Okay. You know why I didn't know? Because if you actually watch the actor and the way he moves, he actually moves his back. Like even though he's sitting down, he'll arch or move his back in certain ways, which you can't do if you're paralyzed. So I had no clue he was paralyzed until, what's her face? Laria Sand says, it's no wonder you can't walk. You have no spine. I was like, what? He's paralyzed? He's not, I don't know if they've said this explicitly, but he's not paralyzed. He has gout. So I feel like you can still move your spine there. You just like have really swollen ankles and joints and can't walk because of that but i believe that's what it is in the books is that he has like a very advanced gout and he's also a heavier man um than okay. this like you know deep space nine star that they got to to play him um my issue with dorn is that i don't mind that they cut it down i get it i understand they've had to do that with almost every storyline for obvious reasons they cut out all the wrong parts like as you were saying kate the Sand Snakes are great. Keisha Castle Hughes was an amazing casting choice for one of the Sand Snakes, and they've gotten nothing to do. They sent Jamie down there, which doesn't really happen in the books. They sent Jamie down there. They put Braun with him, which is an inspired choice. And we've seen one fight that was so poorly choreographed and made no sense 
then we've seen Braun in a cell, and then we've had this little tete-a-tete with them now just turning around and going back to King's Landing. It makes no sense. And honestly, I don't care about Marcella enough to care about her going home safe. I have no interest in that. I want to see Dorn step up and be an actual presence. And, you know, if that means one of the Sand Snakes, you know, killed Marcella or something, I'd be much happier because at least things would be going on. So I think they just cut out so many things in Dorn that they cut it down to the bare minimum and they, they chose the wrong bare minimum. They they did the exact opposite of what they should be doing. As much as I love Indira Varma stalking around in a cape with, you know, <laughs> quip, quippy one-offs, it's just not not great. I, not sti- I still do not understand why he's sending his son and Marcella to King's Landing. Like, what's his play here? <laughs> oh, my brother went there. He died. This will go so much better. Right. <laughs> Seriously. some religious unrest up there. Let's see what we can do about that. Like, what are you doing? It makes no sense. It honestly makes no sense. And I honestly think that, I, I, I don't know what happens in the book with the House of Black and White, but I think they could have eliminated the House of Black and White in this season and just focused more on Dorne because there's a lot of potential here. Yep, I agree. Well, That's I mean, what... I think, I don't know how well the audiences would have accepted a season without Arya. I think that would not have gone well. But um, based on what they've shown us, that didn't need to be in this season, okay, as far you know as I'm what? concerned. They could have maybe bookended the season with the House of Black and White, put enough. Because honestly, if you look at the amount of screen time Arya's had so far throughout the season, it, 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 it amounts to maybe like 30 minutes. So you take the 30 minutes, you chop it in half, put 15 in the opening episode, 15 at the end of the episode, and focus more on Dorne in the middle chunk of the, of the season. I don't know, but... I just wish we had more of Dorne because now it's like Jamie and Braun after going through so much trouble to sneak into Dorne to save Marcella, who doesn't but, want to be saved. Now they're just going did they, back to King's Landing. Did they really go through that much trouble? Because it seemed way too easy for them to sneak into Dorne. Well, true. From what Again, we see as viewers. They roll into Dorne. They break out their swords for like three minutes and then it's over. You can't tell me they were that low on budget that they couldn't have choreographed 45 more seconds of a fight scene. Like, no one even gets cut. That was It was the most lame fight scene Game of Thrones has ever done, and it took the air out of that whole storyline. Yeah. Well, of course, there is the one slice with the poison. That was a fun scene. But, yeah, no, I, com- I completely agree. Also, so Ilaria goes from being so incredibly bitter and hating the Lannisters to pouring out her wine when she's asked to raise a glass to King Tommen, and then she starts crying as she bends the knee to to kiss Doran's ass. And then at the end of the episode, she's all buddy-buddy with Jamie, and she starts talking about how she knows how much he's in love with his sister. I'm like, who is this character all of a sudden? Why does she care if he's in love with Cersei and or not? It was just weird. I'm like... This whole storyline feels so disappointing. Like, if this is the outcome, like, if if, if, if we don't get any more of Dorne and, and the whole entire story was just to get Marcella back at King's Landing, then it just only further proves that it's because she needs to die because of that opening flashback at the beginning of the season. Uh, but that's just not enough to satisfy me. I, for me, that really connected to her love for Oberyn and she was holding on to all this anger and this this bitterness towards the Lannisters because 
she was still in such pain over losing Oberyn and her her acceptance of that loss and uh, that he was gone and that she there was nothing she could have done to stop it then and there's nothing she can do about it now that's what the tears were about um i i, I saw that at least for me that made a, a very clear narrative through line for the character However, I was having to do a lot of work to connect those dots because we got so few scenes with the character. Yeah, I think it's because we don't really care about her. Like, she's a, she's a good actress, and she started as a very promising character who could have been a real interesting villain to Jamie and Marcella and the Lannisters, and they dropped the ball. I have a question, Whitney. I asked Kate this, I think it was a few weeks ago. But so Cersei receives a package, right? And in the package, it's the necklace that belonged to her daughter, which now she claims in this episode was stolen from her. So all signs point to Ilaria being the one who sent the package. But in this episode, we kind of get the, I kind of get the feeling that it actually wasn't her based on the scene that she has with Jamie at the end of the episode. But didn't Sansa have the exact same necklace during the Purple Wedding episode? I think it was similar. I don't think it was the same one. Um, I actually think it was the prince, possibly, that sent it to try to start an incident. But then, again, it's fizzled out to the point where it hasn't really wait, gone wait. either way. Which prince? Prince Doran? or Yeah, um... because, again, the... Yeah, Prince Doran, because, at the again, Ilaria's, uh, or Lyria's conversation with Jamie makes it seem like it wasn't her. And we didn't really get an explicit answer either way. Um, and it doesn't, you know, Marcella doesn't want to leave, so she wouldn't have planted it or sent it or anything like that. Um, so it kind of process of elimination. Um, oh. but, and, and to see if he could maybe start something and maybe maybe it was his long game to get his son to King's Landing and he has a plan, but it would be nice if we knew this plan and knew what his mindset was. We haven't, we don't really know what he's thinking Prince Doran other than I don't like these people, but it, it's been very confusing. Also, it would be great if we saw his son or um, what the other prince's name, the one Marcella's Tristan. Yeah, Tristan was thinking that would be great too, because he's just been standing there like a romance novel cover. We have no idea if he doesn't want to go to King's Landing, if he does want to go to King's Landing because he's in love with Marcella if he's actually in love with Marcella, or if he's just like, here's a girl who's not related to me. Welcome to Dorne. Like, it, it, we've gotten no insight into so many of the characters in Dorne that it just, it seems so pointless to make a big deal out of anyone going anywhere or making any kind of pact. Because uh, we have no idea what his, you know, attitude's going to be like on the small council or in King's Landing. It, it just, oh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> Well, again, I think that even if there is something interesting coming with Prince Doran in the, the finale, which I could easily see happening, like a, a reveal, you know, like the one, like this idea that we've been discussing, or something else could easily come in the finale. That doesn't change the utter lack of interest, in, the utter, yeah, utter lack of interest in character in Dorne to this point. And again, I think this ties back to what we were discussing earlier at the start of the episode, this season's focus on plot and on table setting over character because that is something that you know has not been necessarily the priority of the series to this point and if you think even just of the different pairings that Arya has had over the course of the series 
her pairing with um with Tywin was not about plot, it was about character. Her pairing with the Hound was again about character. They they really used those those relationships to explore who she was and who she was becoming and how she was how she was learning. And this season she's at the House of Black and White for some reason that we have yet to to understand, but one that feels like she's got to go to the house of black and white so that she can do this so that she can do that. And that's something that's been true of all these different storylines, including Dorne. So even if there's something that, that, you know, this leads to a reveal that Prince Dorne is actually a super secret mastermind. Everything that we got with Dorne this, this season will have been to get us to a plot point of a twist rather than any sort of connection to who these characters are. Right. Well, and the payoff better be good. I mean, we had a great payoff with Tyrion finally meeting Daenerys. I mean, we had, sorry, watching those two actors was fantastic. And then afterwards, even though he gets kidnapped by Jorah and, and Varys is God knows where, the payoff was satisfying for me. But the journey was also interesting to watch, if not entertaining also, right? Whereas with Arya, it's not necessarily entertaining, and I don't think I'm going to enjoy the payoffs. And the same applies to, like, even what's happening with uh, Dorne. Like, you know what I mean? Like, sure, there was some interesting moments at Dorne. Like, the poison sequence last week was fantastic, but it, they were few and far between. And so to me, it's just, it's just, I don't, no matter what they do next week, it doesn't justify the whole season, the season as a whole. And I'm baffled that people actually say that this is their favorite season. Cause I, I just don't understand why I think each and every single episode had one good scene. Last week's episode had an amazing scene, which just so happened to last about 15 to 20 minutes. But then the rest of the episode just pales in comparison to anything that came prior. Like, I, I don't know this, this season to me is kind of like a hot mess. Well, Whitney, do you have any final thoughts on this episode or the season to this point? Um, I, yeah, I'm just going to repeat myself and say that everything better culminate in a lot of cool stuff next week. Otherwise, so many, I think way too many storylines are relying on how they end up in the finale that it can't possibly go well. Um, you know, between Cersei's and Dorne and Arya's and maybe some wall stuff if we go there. Um, Sansa. And Sansa, like, you know, Hardhome was great, but then where's the wall going to go from here? And I just think there's so much relying on a big finale. They can't possibly all fit it in. So we're going to be disappointed in some areas. It's going to happen, and it's it's kind of annoying to know that in advance. So I'm hoping they pull it off on some level. But at the same time, I think they've just had a really tough time prioritizing what they need to prioritize and ba- finding the right balance and striking that right tone on every story that you can't salvage the whole season. So hopefully we get some really cool moments and get a great setup for season six. Uh, and then, you know, they can kind of reassess their strengths and weaknesses this year and have George R. R. Martin, you know, hop on a conference call or something because they greatly need it. Uh, for me, the last thing we haven't talked much about that I that I guess I'll jump in with is I do think that this um, this episode, the the work they do with Jorah in this episode, and that's down to the writing, the direction, and the performance as well, to to make me reinvest in him as part of Danny's uh, team of advisors, is is very effective. And I, again, I would tie that to the direct director David Nutter, who is a damn good director. Um, he cut his teeth on the X Files, directed some of their best episodes ever and uh you know he's like he's like the guy you call to do your pilot and then it'll run forever so like supernatural he did the flash 
pilot this year. He's, you know, he did Smallville. He's done a lot of different uh, genre shows, particularly. But he's he's a, you know, Arrow is another one. Yeah, he's he's a he's a very very good director. And and the parts of this episode or the arcs that maybe don't that aren't working, I still think that this episode, the scenes in this episode are good. They're just they've just been let down by a lack of proper preparation. So the stuff we get with Arya and like stalking Trant, that really works for me. I just don't necessarily like how we got there. And the same thing is true with the scenes we get in Dorne. I really like that conversation we get between everybody and the conversation we get with Alaria and Jamie. I think that all really works. Again, they just the earlier part of the season I think is really lets this this episode down. And maybe if the earlier part of the season had been more effective, I would be more invested in the entirety of this episode as opposed to just a handful of scenes. Well, thank you so much, Whitney, for coming on the podcast to talk about uh, episode nine with us. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, so listeners can find me uh, at Sound on Sight. I will be recapping a couple of fun shows for the summer. So keep an eye out for that coverage. Really excited about it. Um, and on Twitter as Whitney M02. Yeah. And uh, Ricky, how about you? What's going on at Sound on Sight right now? Wow, there's a lot going on at Sound Insight. Um, I don't know. Like you started the Hannibal podcast. We uh, we have great coverage on Hannibal, which I think is the best show on TV right now. So if you're not watching Hannibal, watch Hannibal because it's amazing. You can find me at, on Twitter at Sound on Sight. Like us on Facebook if you like our podcast. Share it on Facebook, on Twitter. Spread the word. Give us a rating on iTunes. Let people know we exist. Um, yes, and as you say, the Hannibal podcast uh, that I uh, co-host with Sean Coletti has started back up uh, for season three, and that's that's going out um, the first, at least the first few episodes will be going out right after each episode airs. Very, very excited about a guest that we have coming up next week. Um, and I, I got to interview Brian Reitzel, the composer for Hannibal, and that was fantastic. That was, that'll be going out soon as well. So lots of Hannibal content for those uh, fans of that series, as well as um, I'm reviewing Orphan Black right now, which is wrapping up its season. And, um, of course, I also have the Televerse podcast, which covers the rest of TV um, that you can listen to Tuesday night. Wednesday mornings at, at Sound On Sight every week. And I'm at the Televerse on Twitter, and I love talking about Game of Thrones and other TV with y'all. So please uh, drop me a line. Um, but next week, we'll be talking about, uh, we'll be back to talk about the last episode of the season, Mother's Mercy, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss once again, and also directed by David Nutter. So if nothing else, I'm excited about that. So we'll be back next week for one more episode for this season of the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. Thanks for listening. Say the war is over
bigger kind of